0: Shalom Aleichem to everybody. And uh, again, we want to thank Rabbi Yisrael Yudkowski, our wonderful Talmud, who has been so helpful in uh, disseminating the Shiurim to the public. And we hope that the Oilim is getting hand on. We did hear that in the last, uh, uh, last uh, Gedolim series, which was about Reb Chaim, a uh, famous story that we spoke about. Uh, had a little bit of a viral um a viral effect and uh and i even mentioned before that my own dear mother she because who doesn't own a computer she was called by a friend who saw it and then my mother was able to see it as well so it was it was kadai it's kadai all of it just for the keep it av, keep it aim that uh, we were able to get uh, my mother to see one of the podcasts coming out so we i, I felt very much that um you know, even though I've spoken about Reb Chaim, Zeich the entire world has been speaking about Reb Chaim, Zeich We're all impacted by the loss. And on one hand, we're impacted by the loss. On the other hand, we're kind of like enraptured by the amount of stories that are coming out. And you know, everyone has a, a Reb Chaim story. Like, you know, it's like really amazing. And, you know, the truth is when we were today we had a little discussion, Yisrael and I, and we came out with just, you know, some sort of like, you know, wondrous uh, number, which, you know, it's, we think it's a conservative number. Um, you know, we're trying to put it into perspective, and I think that I will touch upon this issue of, you know, Reb Chaim's godless entire was really his, is his, his core and, and and when we say his godless entire is something which really we can't comprehend the degree of of knowledge and the degree of hasmada and the degree of kadushavatara of that he produced over ninety four years. Um but the other element which is what really um everyone and he became famous for was the Brokhas that he gave, you know, the Brachus and the the and nisim. and just one little story about, uh, I heard that one of our Talmidim, from the first talmidim of Ner Yaakov, uh, didn't have children for a few years, and came to Reb for a bracha, and Reb told him, if you put on a beard, that was one of the things that prime used to say, would bring bracha, put on a beard, you're going to have children, you won't have, you'll have a few children. But Kach he put on a beard, and he um, his wife was to give birth to a baby in a year, and then subsequently she had a few children, and he had a tremendous amount of Akar Satov, So when the petira happened, he felt very strongly he has to show the COVID and the respect and the honor of Akar Satov. He wanted to fly in Matzai Shabbos from America. And the flights were all packed. And he he's not a well-do person. He's a working person. The only only ticket he could get was a ticket which would it cost $3,000. And he put, put out the $3,000 and he got on the plane and landed. And I understand like, you know, he landed in the middle of the Levaya. he maybe got to the end of the Levaya. He stayed uh, over and he first he went to the caver and then he went to be Menachemobu the following day. That's just that's like one person. But if we take into account the literally, you know, we would just say, oh, thousands and thousands. But we made it we made a stuk alcheman, conservative chesbin. And we kind of said, Let, let's say Reb Chaim Zeche Zedek Levracha was involved with giving out his brachas for only the last 15 years. The truth is he was doing it before that as well, but let's say it only last 15 years. And the average, because they say that there used to be between 400 to 500 people a day that would come to his house. For sure, in the last 10 years for sure it was like that. So let's say an average of 300 people were coming over the last 15 years, and we'll only give it a five-day week. Minus a few I weeks know. of Bein Hazmanim, you know, you know, we worked out that the number is a staggering million people, a million people that went into Reb Chayim over the years. And maybe somebody repeats, maybe a lot of them repeats. Let's say it's only a half a million of people that went into Reb Chaim for Brachas. Everybody said that number is staggering, staggering beyond belief. And uh, there's a real question about why Rabchaim was eucha to this Bracha. And uh, for sure, it has to do with his level of Kedusha and Taira and his level of Taira. But I spoke to a lot of Tamil Chachamim. Really, there were great, great Rabbanim before that, great Rashidas, great Sadiqim. I happen to know many, many great Sadiqim. They all had a Kayacha Bracha and the Yeshua and everything else. But the staggering amount of. Of Yeshua's and Rafuas that Reb Chaim was involved in my own personal involvement, you know, of over the years of people, the, the members of the family that I went to and we discussed medical issues and other people's medical issues, and I'm just I was just I was there a few times for medical issues and brachas, but uh, Reb Chaim gave brachas to the world, so that Kayach, we, we maybe maybe we'll try to uncover that mystery a little bit during the course of this podcast. Um, that's one aspect I wanted to speak about. The second aspect I want to speak about is just uh, to give uh, most of the stories I'm going to give are going to be personal stories that happened to me over the course of the last uh, I would say over 40 years. Over 40 years that I had this chus to know Reb Chaim on some level. And um, you know, when I first met Reb Chaim, he was a lot younger Reb Chaim, than everyone saw him later in the years. I remember him. He was very, very vibrant and very, very stark and very lebedic, and, uh, you know, he was, he walked with vigor, with, with, a, with a big kayach, and, he, and the whole mahus was a gavalika gavalika kayach. Later on, we became elderly, and he had illnesses and everything else. Really, he was, a, he himself was a meissiness that he lived for 94 years. He had many, many illnesses, but he lived at a higher level, at a different type of level. And the Kayach of Torah is really what we know, is really what, uh, what kept them alive for so many and so many years. But so knowing Reb Chaim from a different perspective. Uh, and I, I'd like to relate to this, the human, perspective, the human perspective. So I'm going to start out with a story which relates to the human perspective. And then we're going to try to also capture a little bit of the house of which Reb Chaim grew up in, the house of the Stipler and the house of the Chazanish, which I think is an important part of the mystery, the mystery of Reb Chaim. So we're going to say over a story, we're going to call this Reb Chaim and I went to the beach together. Yes, Reb Chaim, Chaim went to the beach. Whoa, how could that be? Reb Chaim, and everything else. Well, this is the story, close to 40 years ago, can't remember exactly what the dates were. I, like many other... Uh, you know, a young uh, yeshiva bachrim, uh, uh, or a younger light, Tamid Azmanim in Eretz Yisrael. We have the three weeks off between Tisha B'av and Rishkai HaKadosh And one of the places that people go to is the separate beach in Netanya. So I was on the beach in Netanya together with a lot of Tamid Chachamim and Rabbanim, uh, some of them today are world-famous Rosh Yeshivas. And I'm uh, enjoying the sun, enjoying the beach, you know, I happened to be, I even spoke to a certain Talmud Chachem and learning over there, Rabbi Yelevi, he's one of the Rashivas of Rabbi Yitzhak Meir's yeshiva, and he was a big Talmud Chachem then, and uh, and as I was sitting on the beach, I looked up on top of the, uh, on top of the hill, from which everyone will walk down to Kirat Sanz, from Kirat Sanz, and I see two Bachrim walking together with a, a person, and I see a very strange scene. I see a man who's wearing a box on his head. He had a carton, almost like a, it looked like a refrigerator carton, but it was like cut in half and it was over his head. He had a carton on his head. This was Reb Chaim. Um, I had seen him before, but I never saw him with a carton on his head. It was a strange scene. But immediately I chapped. Reb was being shymer as a name. He was afraid that maybe he might see something which he shouldn't see. And again, this is something which is beyond the level of most of us. But uh, he walked down the beach. And when he got to the to the oilam, he took off the box, put it down. And then he went into the sea. He went into the Yam. I was in the Yam together with Reb Chaim. And I didn't see Reb Chaim swimming, per se, but I did see him jumping against the waves. And uh, it was a phenomenal sing- scene to see the great Talmud Chanchem, Reb was also uh, doing what he was supposed to do because this is what the Torah tells him, to take care of the body and to get fresh exercise and air. But he did it in a very, very Chazanish way. He did it for maybe 15 minutes. That was his uh, participation. I only saw him one day. I don't know if he came by the days or not. Can't tell you. And then he went out of the ocean Went back, got his box. Okay, I do remember he had very long tzitzis, which he he always wore. I don't remember if he had the tzitzis in the yam or not. My my perception is that he that he took off the tzitzis before he went in, but he was wearing a almost positive that he was wearing an undershirt when he went into the yam. and uh, and then he went back up with the two either family members or Talmudim of his and he walked back up, and it made such an impression upon me, because on one hand, you saw the tremendous kadusha that Reb Chaim had, and uh, how he was, Macbeth and shmir beyond the regular, and people ask questions, well, if he was doing it, what about the people that were escorting him? So it could be Reb Chaim told them that they should keep look their, keep their eyes down, but Reb Chaim himself had an which was beyond that, that was his an and uh, I heard from um, and to me, it made the impression that, number one, that he's, he's being aim, and on the other hand, he's also going into the yam. That was part of Reb Chaim's uh, gewaldic, gewaldic, uh, duality, as I would say. He was able to understand exactly what the Torah wants of you and what he's supposed to do in every single time. I do know that the Chazinish himself also used to tell a lot of people, and Cha- the Chazanish himself used to be a swimmer. <clears throat> I don't know if the Chazinish later on in life went to, the, went to the Mediterranean like Reb Chaim went. I do know that when the Chazanish was younger, he used to go swimming in the river in the way where he lived uh, very early in the morning, and he held it was very, very healthy for a person to go to, to go swimming. Like the Allah said, the Allah says, a person's supposed to learn how to swim, he's supposed to teach his son how to swim. It's one of the Allah says in Kadushan. But to me, this, I think, depicts a lot of, uh, on one hand, almost like a humorous story, a <coughs> box on the head, and the other hand, a very, very real story. Of how Gedolim, how they how they live, uh, the um, I'll just go off in a little tangent in that area. I do know that I heard that when the when Menachem Begin died, again, how's Menachem Begin gonna do anything with Reb Chayim? Nothing to do with Reb Chaim. I heard of Menachem Begin died. I heard of David Salavetsik, Reb Rash, from Brisk said uh, Menachem Begin was a Yelid from Brisk. His father was a rush caller from the Mizrahi, and uh, and he grew up. He's a Shomer Shabbos as he, he grew up. And Dov I heard that he said a shvach on Menachem Begin that he would come to the place in Brisk. There was a place where all the from yeshiva bachurim would go, which was separate, while everybody else went to a mixed crowd. But there was a place where the yeshiva bachurim went. They went early in the morning. I don't know exactly what time. And he said Menachem Begin was always been, was always marked to go together with the yeshiva Bakram. So it just shows us that the tzaddikim, the gedolim, they their swimmers. I heard of Yaakov Kamenetsky used to be a big swimmer. And uh, we could go on to speak about swimming, but I think we want to stick to the stories about Reb Chaim. And this is a great, great element. Reb Chaim, as everyone knows, he, he he also had great humor. And um, I have a friend of mine, a close friend of mine, and I want to speak about this story, But my friend, Rabbi Ali Melech Liman, who I spoke to this week, a wonderful, wonderful balabas who lives here in Ertzbal for many years. And he's a supporter of Torah, and he has a lot of schusim, and he has wonderful, wonderful children. And he became close to Reb Chaim. And he would, uh, he told me, he, he was Zoycheh to give money for some of Reb Chaim's And he has uh, a lot of bruches that were written from Reb Chaim to him. He was once Zoycheh. When Reb Chaim, in the older days, used to daven in letterman with everybody else. And then he started davening in his house because it just made it, it was worthwhile to daven in the house. He didn't own a megillah, and uh, supposedly some of the gaboyim said to Reb Melech, "Maybe you want to help to buy a megillah for Reb Chaim." And my friend Reb Melech said, "Avada!" He went to Shusha, he asked him, "You know, he told him what it was." And uh, he went. He ordered the megillah. He brought the megillah to Reb Chaim. Reb Chaim was very happy, and and Reb Chaim in return wrote him a letter with a, a bracha, not a buha, but a letter that he wrote the bracha in. He wrote. He wrote him a personal letter. And he wrote a line. He wrote a line exactly what he said. I don't know what he read. And Melech says he has the letter. I haven't had a chance to see it. Maybe I'll get a chance to see it. And he, um, and Melech has a good sense of humor. So he said to him, Reb I don't understand. I give you a Gansa Megillah. And all you give me is one line? All you give me is one line. Sir, said back. He says, Reb Melech. A but but me me call the One line for me is worth more than all the McGillas. <laughs> That's what Rib Chaim said to. Him. Reb Chaim had a tremendous this next story is like an unbelievable story. And it's going to lead us into a little bit of a certain level of um the way I saw Reb, you know, the 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 you know, Reb Chaim. Um so at one point the stiplers at Zetzal had had enacted in Letterman that there was a, a, a mitzvah to write all of the chaf dalet svarim. That means not only the neviim that we read for the Haftairas at the Avesa for Taira, but also to write all of the chaf dalit svarim, that they should be in the shul. And Reb Chaim, it seems, also brought that minig, and it's based upon in the Rishonim or the Gainim, I don't know exactly where it is, that you'll have to find out. But I do know that it's based upon a Mekairas. Everything Reb Chaim did was with Makairis. And um, they decided the last Sefer that was going to be written was the Sefer Tillim. And uh, my friend Melech went to Re- Reb Chaim, and Reb Chaim said, which one do you want? So Melech said, which one do you think is the Chasher one? He says, the Tillim is the best one. Now the Tillam is the largest. Of all the Sefer, the Tillim is really the largest that's written. So um he said, so the said, so why is, uh, why is the tilim? Vest? He says, because the Nevi'im, the Kla'af, we only read them once a, you know, once or twice a year. And some of them we're not going to read at all. But the Tehillim, the tilim, I lay. We, we read it every day. Reb Chaim had a minute in the morning before Vesikin that they would spend either a half hour saying Pirke Tilim. They said for the Tzareth of Kla Israel. Reb Chaim himself would stand by the bima and they would take out the Sefer Tillim and they would read it from a klav, a special Indian of reading from the klav, and um, and the Tzibur would say Tillim for the Tzarus of Klai So, So it's a big schus. So he gave the money for the Tillim, and then Reb Chaim said there's going to be a Hachnosah Sefer Tillim together with all the Sifrin of and my friend Melech said to me, "Reb Yeshua, come, you'll come, we'll have a great time, going will be a suitor there, and Reb Chaim was involved with every single aspect. He got the talucha, he got the people with the music. He, I didn't have it like they have today with the with things, but they made a hachnosas safer to him together with the hachnosas of all the sifr and the I was able to go to Letterman. And again, this is before Reb Chaim had a whole entourage. He was already from the G'daylem and learning. But he was very independent. And um, what happened was they... This is the scene that I remember. Besides the fact that there was a suda at the guy by his house, and all the good, the only Reverend Leib Steineman came, and uh, Ribyanko Galinsky came, and he spoke. And Rebjanko Golinsky, when he spoke, he knew how to make jokes to make Repchaim laugh, Mamash. Repchaim was laughing, Mamash. I'll make this rhyme, belly laughs. Mamish, he just had great, great jokes. Jokes based upon the Torah. But he knew how to get people to laugh. And um, Ribyanko Golinsky was a big maggot. And he was close to the stipler because they both learned in the Vardic together. So rip. then what happened was they went down from the Gabai's house if they finished Exivus, like you do for Sefer Taira. And then they took out all the Sifri Nevi'im. I never saw anything like it. I'm used to a Sefer, you know, Hachnas take out the Sifri Taira and everyone dances together. The old Svar, the new Sefer, he took out all the Sifri Nevi'im, dozens of, of Sifri Nevi'im. And then they gave Reb Chaim the the tilum to hold, and I have to tell you, when Reb Chaim took hold of the tulum, he started dancing, and he danced. This is going back close to thirty years ago. He was then in the sixties, and he danced better than any bacher I've ever seen in yeshiva. He was so quick on his feet, not quick on his feet, yet mamish was like unbelievable, and was such a simcha. His face was shining. His face was like a labas esh, mamash, like a fire. I never saw anything like it. A simcha yiseira. And he didn't dance for two minutes. He was dancing for 10, 15 minutes with all of his kachos. It was b'pchinus kol atzmoisai mi- mi- Hashem. All of his entire body. And I thought to myself, what's Rup It's such a simcha. Because this mitzvah, he had the schus to be mekaim That takana that was brought down from the Rishonim from the Gainim, Reb a mitzvah. That was his greatest, greatest joy. And I was thinking to myself that it struck me that there was a mice I remember, and I said this over to a few people, um, a ma'isa that I saw about the stipler, his father. And I think this, I want to bring in this point. When we speak about Reb Chaim, we have to know Reb Chaim did not come from a vacuum. Chaim was the only son of the stapler. His mother was the sister of the Chazanish. I don't know much about his mother. But his uncle was the Chazanish, and he grew up in the house of his father, and in the house of the Chazanish. And the Chazanish played a big role in all of Reb Chaim's chinuch in the formative years. And what was that house? That house those houses were houses where the Torah and Yer Shemayim was literally, it just was gazapt it's the only way to say it, gazapt It literally was, it's called dripping. It was mamish, that was it. Hasmudah. Tremendous, tremendous Yigias Hataira, Tremendous Yer Shemayim. Beyond what we understand Yer Shemayim, real Yer Shamayim, real palpable Yer Shemayim. And I saw that when I was at the of Zeviah, when the Stipler passed to I, I was to go to the Stipler many, many times myself. And I even mentioned that one of the first times I met Chaim was I came to the Stipler, and I, and I was asked to buy. I have almost all the svarim I was able to get from the Stipler, which wasn't an easy thing. And uh, he tried to convince me, only take one. Which mesech do you learning? What do you have to have more? I said no, because I, uh, you know, I might have to go back to America, and then I want to be. I want to, I want to get back here. And at the end, he sold me came out the whole set, but he said, that he doesn't have a few volumes, I have to go to Reb Chaim's house. And that was the first time I would heard about Reb Chaim. But I went to Reb Chaim's house, I was able to get some of the other svarim. But the main thing I wanted to bring out is that when the stipler was nifter, <coughs> there was a hesped. The paper then was not the Yeted Neman. There was one Jewish newspaper, one from newspaper, It's was called Amudia. It still exists today. But in those days, it was run by the Gedolim, there was the Ger Rebbe, and together the Rav and the stipler. In the end of the day, Shach, it's a whole political issue, Rav ended up leaving because of the way the paper was being run. But at that point, the uh, idea was the, the one paper for the Frum, uh, Frum community here in Eretz Yisrael. And during the shiva, there was an article written, and it said, Risheshiva from from America wrote this article. This is what he writes. This maise gives us a little bit of an insight to the home and to the, the, the place where, the, where Reb Chaim grew up in. What, this Rosh said that he came in the times when the Chazanish was still alive, he came to Eretz Yisrael a few times to speak to the stipler and learning. He used to go to speak to the stipler the stipler was a tremendous, tremendous source of Torah for the world. And he came and he had always he had his kashas that he had from Shas and Bavli and the Rambams, Ricky Vegas, who would go and speak to, to the stipler about. And he asked him a series of questions one time when he came here. And the stipler said, Oh, this we can answer like this, this means like that, oh, that kasha, that kasha, that the shvog, the chazanish, is the only one that can answer such a shy. He said, You have to go to the chazanish. He says, Who knew when can we go to the chazanish? He says, We can go now. It was down then around 1 o'clock in the morning. So it would going out? Yeah. It's up, sitting and learning. You don't have to worry about it. So he left the Stapler's house. Again, this is early, in the early 50s. And then B'nai Brak was was a very, very primitive, poor community. Very little electricity. It was in the fields. They say that there were like wolves outside and everything else. <coughs> and the stipler lived a little bit more like there were a few apartment buildings. The same block where the where, where the Reb Chaim's house is—that's where the stipple lived, and the Chazanish lived in Rechov. Then it turned into Rechov Chazanish later on, but it was in the fields. It was like in the orchards. It was very dark, but as they got closer to the Chazanish's house, the, this way he describes it: the house of the Chazanish was like lit up. It looked like it was like the—he said it was like the electric company. The lights were blazing. It was like it was—it's was like so strange. Why is it so lit up? And you know when they had—they not have the, even the fluorescent bulbs, and they had like little bulbs that. Why is it so lit up, buddy? Okay, he figured, I don't know, they have a lot of light there. Maybe it's in the fields, that's why he has lights there. And they get closer, and then they get to the house, and the stapler knocks on the door, very, very small house, and no one answers, and the stapler pushes the door open, and they enter into the house. And this is the scene, the way he describes it. The chazanisha is sitting by the table, and he's learning. But around him is a fire. The fire is surrounding him. And he saw clearly: this fire is not a fire from this world. This fire is the what the fire, which is described in Chazal as kinnisin asin vesina, an comes down from the Shemaim and it surrounds great And immediately it was the Shechina. And we heard these stories about the past, about great, you know, the Chafetz Chaim's rebbe, that the of Chafetz Chaim was able to see it, and uh, this Rosh Hashiva from America. He said, he he started fainting. And the stipler was strong. And the stipler said, it seems the stipler must have seen this before. And the stipler was on a level of Kedusha be able to handle it. And he says, "Now's not the time to speak to the chazanish. And he took him outside. And this was a uh, snapshot of who the chazanish was, who the stipler was. We get a little bit understanding what level of Kedusha we're talking about. That's where Reb Chaim came from. Reb Chaim continued it. Uh, they say Mises, very, very simple Mises, that they say that, you know, a lot of people speak about the Indian of Gilu Eliyoh, know, and uh, they say over that, um, that they once spoke to the the the, the, the Mekoravim the of Reb Chaim. They say that uh, they were speaking about, you know, who has Gilu Eliyoh today? So they said, Stammer so Bar and Leib eh, has Gil They said, no, but uh, they somehow they said, they they showed that Reb Chaim, Reb Chaim had, had Gil Elio by a bris. He had Gil Elio. So Reb Chaim said, by a bris? By a bris? If you can't see Elio, like, you know, like, you know, it's not like garnished. It's not like garnished. At a bris, if I didn't see Elio, I don't know. Who sees Eliyahu Navi? Who sees Eliyahu by That was the Safam and the That was the language that they used. This is the house that, that, that this tzaddik came from. When we speak about, um, you know, so what I want to say is that when I saw Rib Chaim, I want to say, when I saw Rib Chaim dancing, that fire, that ecstasy, that dancing, I never saw anything like it. In my life, I've never seen anything like it. I've never seen a person so connected to a sefer tilling, a cloth, but a sefer tilling. But now I have a little bit of understanding of where he came from, because the the connection to the Torah, the connection to kedusha, and now we can have a little bit of understanding when we speak about Rapa putting a box on his head. What's he putting a box on his head? It sounds so strange, so outlandish. No, it's not outlandish. The person's being shimer is he That this is what it is. I know these are big madragas, but uh, we have to learn from these madragas, no question about it. I once went to Repchayim many years ago, and I spoke to him. I think I even asked him a few shilas in learning. And, uh, and then I went home. I came back home to my house, and I then lived in Telstone. And a few days later, I received a, a postcard from Repchayim. Repchayim used to send postcards, little, like, penny postcards, and he wrote on the top, he wrote one line. It seems I had left some swarm in the house. He says, Please come pick up your swarm. I'd like to return them, but I don't have the money to send it back. Now, I knew that in my swarm I didn't write my address. <coughs> so Bchaim somehow got someone to investigate this. My phone number was in there, and he found out where I lived, and he took the time to write me a letter. And the next day, after I got the, the, the postcard, I went back to Reb Chaim. And um, he was so happy when I came in. And I told him where I was. He said, Oh, Mitzvah Shoveh HaVedah. Kind of he gave me a big smile. That's the language of Reb Chaim. Language of Reb Chaim, Mitzvah Shoveh HaVedah. Send the postcard. My late father, Al-Solom, I was going to take him to Reb Chaim. And uh, it was a great scene. My father was a was a was a a, a, a baki and he had shaylos to ask Reb Chaim, and then Reb Chaim, there was no entourage; you just you walked into the house, and, and he was sitting and learning, and you got to see him. And I remember it was a boiling hot day in Bnei Brak, a good Schwitzy day in Bnei Brak. My father was used to coming to America; everyone has air conditioning. Those days, Reb Chaim didn't have air conditioning, and uh, I had taken my father to Reb Shach's beforehand. And we had gone to see Rabdavid Pavarsky, one of the, she was a Panovich. and Now we came it's supposed to go to Reb Chaim. And uh, my father started asking him kashas. Chaim was very happy to see him. And he, he started answering him the questions. And my father was schwitzing. Chaim had on his table, he had like a little fan, like an oscillating fan. And he turned the fan and he turned it towards my father, we tried to cool him off a little bit. He saw he was schwitzing. But the fan kept on moving. And Reb Chaim didn't know how he stop the fan from oscillating. So every second he just was holding the fan, my father would be like "It's the fan would move, Reb Chaim would move it back. In order to be kind, the mitzvah, properly. Little stories, Rabbi Simeon. Little stories, but big stories. They show us, really, what kind of great person this was. What kind of great loss we have. And that going into the latest news that has been here in Eretz Israel, the very, very difficult news that everyone says clearly, we see clearly that Rib is is not with us. We have to take up the slack. But um Reb Chaim was our Godel. Uh, he was our great, great leader. And we have to learn from him as best as we can. And we're all trying our best. M- many, many people have been cobbled I myself, you know, trying to do my bit. One of the things I'm doing is I'm learning Sefer. Orch is which Reb Chaim wrote is Musa Sefer. And I started learning it. And I saw something and it says over here in the first midah, which he speaks about, which is the midah of Emes. And then I saw that his son-in-law, Reb Kolodetsky, I was mechav him. And this is a partial answer on the question we asked before. Where did Reb Chaim get the kayach of giving brachas to so many people? And according to our calculations, it might have been somewhere between half a million to a million people. We don't know exactly. Where did he get this kayach we don't have the full answer. But if Kolodetsky, and I myself saw it in the Arches Yosha, it says a partial term. The Midas Ha'emes, Reb Chaim writes, is such an attribute. It's the, the Chayisim of HaKadosh Baruch, It's the signet ring of a Baruch And he brings down from the Sefer Chassidim, anyone that speaks Emes, Kolodai Emes, anyone that speaks Emes, doesn't want to think about Sheker, for sure not to say Sheker, And sometimes it's even things you don't even think about what you're saying. You just say it. You know what I mean? But no. You say everything only which is going to be... I'm very, very careful about my, my words. Everything, and not only my words, my thoughts. He says, if you are going to think truth, then your thoughts are going to become true. And he brings down a person that's careful about not lying. Will call, all of his brachas are going to be fulfilled. Why? Because just like he was careful not to say a falsehood, so in the Shemayim, they watch over all of his words and they say these words are emes, they're going to be fulfilled. What did Yerb do his entire life? He was Isaac, in Teras Emes, it was Isaac and Mitzvahs. he was Isaac and, and type. His heart for the Jewish people was beyond. Every single word was a word of Emes. And therefore his brachas were in the sky. Why are Chayim's brachas more than any other gadol? That's one of the mysteries that we can't resolve completely. But what we do know is that we had the schus to have this gadol in our midst. And for this final episode on the greatness of the Godol Adar who was taken away so suddenly from us, what we want to ask is that he should be a good to better. He should be a good to interceder, just like he was in this world. Mirza Shem, we should be zeicher to the coming of Yameinu Amen. Wishing everyone. A wonderful, wonderful evening. Thank you very much for listening. We want to thank jfoundations.com. If you could sponsor any of our activities, it would be another way of addressing and being able to give over Torah to other people. Go on the website and show your support. Thank you very much for joining us.